The Ready, Set, Grow podcast is sponsored by Ag Expert, software designed for Canadian agriculture. Visit them today at agexpert.ca. Welcome to the Ready, Set, Grow podcast, where we like to showcase startup and early stage companies, as well as visit with innovators in the agriculture and food industry. Today, we're here with Joe Dales, Diana Laternus, and special guest, Chuck Berschich, General Manager at Haggerty Creek. Chuck, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I, I kind of live, live and farm in the area where I grew up in um, southwestern Ontario. And uh, I have a farming background. My, my parents farm, my grandparents farmed in this area. Um, and we started this business about 20 years ago. My brother and I, we saw a need to, uh, to service customers in the area. At that time, I was working with um, Farm Credit Canada, so I do have a, a finance and, and uh, you know business background. I graduated from University of Guelph in 1996, still the best school in the country as far as anyone's concerned. And we saw, you know, we saw a need, and so we started our our crop input and grain business back in 2001, and about. You know, 10 years ago, maybe 2004, 2005, um, that's when the, some of the precision ag business started to come into our, into our business, where we were, we were coming up with customers who, you know, were having some issues with repeatability and recording things and doing stuff again. And we're like, how can we help these customers? And when I left Farm Credit and I came to Haggerty, you know, I was kind of new to this business. Um, I came from a very, I guess from, it was very corporate at Haggerty Creek or at Farm Credit. And so, you know, they had structures and systems in place and departments and all these kinds of things that looked after stuff. And so I came into my small business where I didn't have, it basically didn't have anything. And I was getting calls from my customers who were saying, you know, we are um, applying fertilizer on a farm. And I don't think the product is going on correctly. And so I'd ask the farmer, I said, well, how many acres have you applied? And the farmer would say, the farmer would say, I don't know. And then I said, well, how many pounds of product did you apply? And the farmer would say, well, I don't know. And I said, well, how can you possibly know that it's not going on correctly? Well, it just feels that way. And so I kind of made a, a point to myself back then to say, we need to, we need to do a better job of this. We can't just be you know, spreading fertilizer kind of willy-nilly and, and not knowing it. So we started to put uh, precision tools on our application equipment. We were one of the first in, in the area to do that, where we would put very simple rate controllers on the, on the spreaders and on the um, liquid fertilizer and anhydrous toolbars so that the farmers could record and they could document what they were doing. And... Not only did that improve the products, how they were being applied, um, it did that for us. It eliminated a lot of the service work that we had trying to go out and diagnose the troubleshooting. But at the, at the end of it, we actually ended up selling more product. It actually turned into, because the farmers knew what they were applying, they actually would apply more because they were very comfortable with it. So it was kind of a win-win all the way around in doing this. And so that that has led into you know more precision tools and uh, more documentation as you know becoming integrated into the business that we're doing 
in both into the fun on our farm, but also in the in the crop input business. Yeah, Chuck, I uh, I really appreciate you know your openness and and sharing and bringing innovation to farmers. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being down on your farm uh, for several events and to see uh, to see some of the technology in action. Um, tell us a little bit about the farm, and you know if you can go back, maybe it's ten years. You know what kind of benefits have you seen by utilizing some of the some of the precision ag technology and and uh, and the tools? Uh, um, because a lot of times people, you know, they don't think you know they're they're generating the the benefits from some of this uh, some of this you know information and some of these new technologies. So you know, kind of you know, when we started uh, when we started farming, just basically right after high school. Um, you know, everything was pen and paper and everything was, um, I guess the old way, right. You know, my, my parents, um, I guess they stopped plowing back in the eighties, thank God. But, you know, everything, you know, we would disc everything, we would incorporate chemicals and we would plant our corn and then we'd combine it. And that's just what, what was always done. And the ground that we had is very light and sandy and very variable. And so we would get, basically, we would get the same, not necessarily poor yields, but we would get very similar results to what my parents had always gotten. You know, the, the, the high sand moles didn't perform very well. The low grounds, you know, we had issues with that. And in the fall, when it came time to figure out, you know, basically what we were trying to do, we didn't really know because did we write it down right or whatever. And we started using some, you know, computer documentation. We started using the, the Ag Expert software back at the time. I think it was called Settler back at the time um, to start to record, you know, what we're doing where and, and start to record that stuff. We then started doing some grid sampling and, and mapping and starting to use those tools. And one of the things that we discovered is that, you know, there's probably a better way that we can be doing this. And one of our neighbors, he used to no-till everything. So he didn't work any ground, he just no-tilled it all. And he, I don't wanna say he kind of got made fun of by, by everyone else because he was doing things differently. And back in, in 2001, um, he decided to retire and we actually took over that farm. He was like a long, you know, a long time kind of family friend and we were able to, to take over that farm and when we took over the farm, we quickly became, we quickly realized that, you know, we went, we were going to go from farming, you know, 300 acres to 1300 acres. My brother and I were still working full time. We're like, there's no way that we can continue to do this the way we've always done it. And so we actually took us, instead of making fun of this neighbor, we actually took a serious look at what he was doing. And we realized that this, this whole concept of no-tilling and changing our farming practice could enable us to, to, to do this. So we went through and we said, oh, let's actually look at this. We started no-tilling our crops. We started documenting what we were doing to save ourselves some time, becoming more efficient. And lo and behold, it actually worked out. We found out that we were getting the same yields or better yields than we were getting before. And not only that, some of the poorer spots for our farms are starting to improve. So that's, you know, so a light bulb kind of goes on to say, hey, you know, what else can we do? Um, 
And that's when, you know, we start looking at, well, what are some of the problems and challenges that we're having? So by, by, you know, by documenting and recording what we're doing, now we move into using a yield monitor to, to, you know, actually prove out some of our challenges. Then we moved into using auto steer and RTK auto steer to control our traffic and to control how we plant um, so that we can, you know, plant down the same sets of rows without tillage, these kinds of things. You know, we can start to document what the returns are to us. And, you know, as, as an example, some of, you know, some of our sand knolls that we used to get, you know, 80 to 90 bushel corn on those knolls. Now we're getting 140, 150 bushel corn on those knolls. Now, is it, you know, variety in genetics or is it farming practices? Like I like to believe that it's a little bit of both, you know, and that's a pretty significant return. And not only that, we can document it and we can show people, you know, what we're doing with precision tools. Pretty impressive. Um, so how, so you've been keeping track of this for a number of years then. So you've got some pretty good data on that front you know, what's your view on autonomous vehicles and are you using anything in that, in that line? Well, I think, I think on the autonomous side, when we got our first auto steer system back in 2004, I think it took about 15 minutes riding in that tractor with it, with it steering itself for, for either. I think I want to, I don't want to take credit for it. I think it was my brother who said, why are we even in this cab? You know, once we saw that and what it could do, it was kind of like, you know, why, why are we in this cab? How come this tractor needs us in here? Why can't it drive by itself? And, you know, so, so you have that going on in the back of your mind. The other thing that goes on in the back of your mind, like as we've gotten larger, you know, so we're, we're farming, you know, over 3,000 acres now. So we pretty much tripled the size of our farm since then. Our grain elevator has grown substantially. Um, our families have grown, you know, we have, you know, kids at home and all this kind of stuff. So as, you know, as the farm grows, as your business grows, as your busyness in life generally grows, you go always go back to that consideration saying, why am I in this cab? Why do I, you know, is there a way that I can, you know, balance out things out more? And that's where the autonomous stuff comes from. And I have been waiting with bated breath since 2004 saying, when, when do I not need to be in this cab? And so I've been following various, you know, companies and things that uh, that have been looking at autonomous equipment for, for a long time. You know, whether it is a way to, you know, we, we've obviously have done whatever we can do to this point. So we have put auto steers on all of our equipment. We have put automated injection systems on our sprayers. We don't have to mix chemicals. We've got automated rate controllers on our application equipment so that we've automated as much of our stuff as we possibly can. You know, so moving to an autonomous vehicle is the next step. We've also gone through and we've mapped all of our farms out. We've done these, we've tried to get these pieces ready. And so back before three or four years ago, you know, I've, I ha I've had sketches of what I thought an autonomous tractor would look like or could look like on the farm. And I went to, a, to the Precision Ag Conference in London, and I saw the presentation from Seedmaster on the DOT unit, and I went, that's exactly what I, if I looked at, if you looked at my note, it was pretty much exactly what I had drawn out. It was bigger than what I had drawn out. I had drawn out something about half that size. But that design of a, 
of a universal multi-application uh, piece of equipment is is what I you know what I had envisioned and I and I saw that so I you know I kind of followed Seedmaster and their development, um, followed them through their you know they were purchased by Raven which is a company that I'm very familiar with, and um, you know kind of when I when I saw that happen, I had some confidence. And so I purchased a dot unit last April um, and had it delivered to the farm in April. And we used it um, all last spring and through the summer for spreading fertilizer in an autonomous, you know, it wasn't just, part of it was to be first. Like, you know, it's always, it's always fun to be the first person, but um, a lot of it was to try to figure out, you know, what, um, can we make an autonomous vehicle work? Can we actually use it in our farming system? Is there, you know, that was part of the part of the thought process in, in having this vehicle. And until you actually have one, it's really hard to to work on those things. A lot of it is theoretical. You know, now we we moved on to this. So so we made that agreement with Dot, and we've been using it. And at the same time, I've been you know looking at you know what other autonomous vehicles are going to work. Um, you know, whether it's for, you know, weeding and planting and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't mind taking risks, but I'm also, you know, a little bit cautious with my money. So we also uh, made an agreement with a company called Karechi to build a small autonomous robot for soil sampling. And we looked at our, you know, obviously from the farming business, we have different pieces that we thought we could automate. But we also looked at our at Haggerty from that business. What can we automate? And one of them is, um, you know, our soil sampling process. We thought was a was a natural fit. And so, you know, I we also commissioned a small robot. So, you know, um, Sagata had Karechi. He had an idea for a robot which looked pretty good from a prototype perspective. Um, we changed it probably five hundred percent and. Uh, and got one, got him to build us one, which we just got delivery of um, for doing soil sampling as well. So now we have two, you know, that we're working on. And then the next project that we're working on is, you know, autonomous weeding robots. And we have two coming for sure from the NAO company. They're the NAO Oz robots are coming this spring. And we're also working on um, two other systems that use a different technology for weeding. You know, and, and we have our own reasons kind of for, you know, for why we're looking down this this neck of the woods. But uh, uh, I'm not sure if I want to get in, you know, I'm not sure if you want me to get into that in this in the course of this podcast. Um, so I guess you've been working with sort of these three uh, different companies. Um, what what is your vision, I guess, for sort of automation and robotics on the farm? I think we have to accept the fact that ag robotics is going to be a disruptive technology. Some people think when they think of automation, they picture the tractor that they have now and they're going to put a kit on that tractor and they're going to get out of the cab and the tractor is going to go and plant just like what they've always done. And that's fine. I, I don't have really any issues with that vision, but my vision is more disruptive than that. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, differently. Um, that once we go to an autonomous system, you know, we don't need the 500 horsepower tractors. We don't need the 80 foot cultivators. We're not gonna need these things. 
Because once you start to see that autonomous vehicle working, I think there's a better way to do this. The other piece of the autonomous side is that, you know, once we move into, you know, smaller autonomous vehicles and these kinds of things, I don't, I don't want to use the word that they're throwaway. Like, I don't, I don't want to think about them as like a, like a cell phone or something like that. But the technology is going to change so much and so rapidly. And because it's so disruptive, having a person, you know, commit to buy 15 robots for their farm, I don't know how realistic that's going to be. So, you know, so part of my think thought process on this is that farmers may want to rent these robots and, or, you know, part of this comes into, you know, what outcome are they actually going after? So this is where I'm getting into, you know, from my interest level is that we want to have farmers think about what outcome do they actually want to hire? So from, from Haggerty's perspective and from my perspective, I don't necessarily want them to come to me and say, hey, Chuck, I want to buy your robot. That's not really what I'm after. I'm saying the farmer comes to me and say, Chuck, I have this problem in my field. I have a problem with um, a, an invasive weed that we don't have chemical control for. Do you have a solution I, I can present to you? And my, my solution might be I have these two machines that can come and take that weed out without a chemical. You know, I have another, you know, I've, I've had a couple of farmers who come to me and say, Chuck, I have a vegetable crop for my market that has to be non-GMO. My customers are telling us that we want non-GMO and this is what we have to do. We don't have the chemical control option for this, for this product. It's high value to me. Do you have a solution? And this is where as a, as a robot company or as an autonomous provider, I can bring an autonomous solution to solve, to solve that outcome. And I, and I kind of think this is where some of the dis disruption is going to come into the, to the industry. This might not be a bunch of bricks and mortar and, and tractor companies selling robotics. It's going to be service providers providing a solution to the producers. That's kind of where I'm coming from with this. So Chuck, can you explain a little bit about how much uh, human intervention there is with some of these ag robotics? Like, the, are they fully independent or do you still need to be in the vicinity to operate them? Well, I, I probably the biggest disappointment I've seen is that there's a lot more human intervention right now than what I'd hoped we'd be at. And there's a lot more press release versus actual um, out there, so you really have to separate the reality from the from the press release. As of right now, a person has to be with the robots at all times. And I think because this technology is fairly new, even from a safety perspective, I'm okay with that. I think the other side of it is that agriculture is very unique and the way that we do things is very unique. Uh, one of the unfortunate things about farming is that you can have four farmers growing the same crop, you know, every hundred acres apart, and every one of them will tell you that their way is the right way to do it. Even though in even though at the end of the day, you know, the, the differences are very between, you know, are very minor between the two. So until we can, you know, standardize some of those procedures, we're going to need some human intervention until that kind of stuff gets standardized and figured out. So for right now, like from the dot, 
perspective, for example, a person still has to bring the dot to the field. A person still has to plan the mission that it's going to, to, uh, to drive in the field. And until all of the safety features are you know, 100% tested and secure, a person still has to watch that, you know, watch the dot running. And the way that I've over the way that we've kind of overcome that in our business is we've said, well, you know, what applications, you know, can does this work for? So one of them is spreading limestone. So when you're spreading limestone, um, you know, you need a person in the loader tractor, you need a person in the spreader. In this case, the person in the spreader can also be the a person in the in the loader tractor can also be the person watching the dot unit. And so now we have, um, you know, now we have, you know, improved a process, simplified a process, because not only can the person who is in the loader, who is watching the dot, you know, loading the lime and letting it go, not only can they, you know, watch what it's doing, they can actually watch what kind of job it's doing spreading. You know, they're not just running across the field at 12 miles an hour. They can actually see, is it spreading? Am I hitting the right places? Can I monitor this? So that's, that's one way that you can kind of capitalize on the human intervention. From the weaving robot perspective, a way to look at this is that if you have a, a family or, or a group of people who are going to be looking after a vegetable crop, you know, if that robot can eliminate even 80% of the weeds, 90% of the weeds, well, that greatly reduces the not only the labor requirement, but just, just improves your quality of life, you know, for that crop. So what that does, so even though you still need some human intervention going through there, following behind the, you know, following behind the robot, you know, catching the two or three weeds that it misses, you're still freeing up a tremendous amount of time to be doing other things. And, and what the hope is for some of these producers is that they can take that time and produce different crops, you know, enhance some of the, some of the higher value crops or whatever because the robot has helped them. And, you know, and we have to be realistic too, that when you have a farm, you're never going to, you can never eliminate the farmer, right? You're, you're never going to eliminate those brains and that thought process. So the robot almost becomes like that third hand or something like that is probably a better way to, to look at that. Yeah, Chuck, I, uh, I agree with you. I think um, what people don't realize is the adoption of technology, um, there's always progressions. So if you recall 20 years ago, your first uh, smartphone to where you are now with an Apple 12, um, you know, it's, it's totally different. And I think the trends are unmistakable with sensors and vision systems, um, hardware, software, that, and agriculture being such a large part of the economy um, and the efficiencies, you know, I think uh, it's Rob Sake uh, who, who was with DOT said, you know, we're going to lose the, the dirty, dangerous and, and dull jobs uh, on the farm. So, you know, it just, it just absolutely makes sense to me. And that, you know, when we look out five and 10 years, you know, robotics and automation are going to, you know, be a big part of the farm. And I congratulate you for, for being first with Dot and being first with Raven and and supporting Sagata and Karechi because, you know, somebody needs to step up and and uh, we're trying to do the same thing at RH Accelerator uh, 
Uh, we've been networking in with mm. like Sengen and they're involved in their, you know, robotic uh, smart greenhouse uh, project and some of those. So, you know, I think um, I'm excited about it going forward. It's not just going to be a linear, you know, easy uh, adoption because you, you're right. It, it, uh, the technology is not quite there. It's going to require a lot of education, but you know, the trend is totally unmistakable in my mind and, and it'll bubble up from small places like, uh, you know, uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, where Norbert uh, Bougeot, you know, mm -hmm. invented and, and funded DOT on the first, you know, part of the journey. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. And, what's it, and, what, and what's interesting, too, is that, you know, it's bringing people who wouldn't normally, you wouldn't normally picture in the agriculture business into that agriculture business. You know, and I'm I'm going to pick on Sugata a little bit just because I know him fairly well now. You know, like like what he's told me, like he comes from a one acre rice farm. Like that's what his family farms in India. You know, and so to to you know to to think about the challenges that agriculture faces in the world and how do we, you know, how do we improve the how do we improve this um, in general? Like we you know we tend to look at our own backyard and, and think that this is the only way you know, things are things that, that should be, but the, you know, so, so, you know, Sugata has been given a chance to be involved in agriculture in, in a way that, that, you know, I don't think he, he told me himself, he didn't think he would be. And I've had, you know, people that he, that has worked for him. I've had people, you know, contacting me, you know, kind of across Ontario, across actually from other parts of the world who are, you know, very interested in autonomy and bringing this, bringing this forward. And I find that quite, you know, quite exciting um, on how, you know, and how this is, you know, how this is, you know, progressing and moving forward and, uh, and who's getting involved and, you know, some of the backgrounds, the people that you meet, it's, it's really, really cool. Especially, you know, you know, my background is, you know, we are very, uh, you know, kind of isolated out here in Bothell. Uh, there's not too much changes and, uh, and so it's, it's fun to, uh, to expand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks Chuck uh, for sharing all that information uh, before we head out. Is there anything else you'd like our viewers to know about? Um, I don't, uh, I think, I think going forward, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to try to formalize some of the, you know, some of the trials that we're doing and some of the practices we are, you know, we did, you know, we use the dot on somewhat of a limited scale. I think the, the, the thought process is, is to actually, you know, turn this into a, um, you know, standard practice is what we're going to try to do and try to communicate how that's being done. I think that's, you know, that's where the, what the thought process is going forward. And then, you know, as the new tools come forward, we're going to try to take what we learn with the dot and try to apply that to the other, to the other systems. That's awesome. Um, I guess if our listeners have any questions or want to reach out to you, is there a way they can connect with you? They can contact me. They can contact me at Haggerty. They can look, look me up on our website, um, haggertycreek.com. It's probably the, probably the, the safest way to, to get a hold of us. And I'm also on Twitter at the sand farmer and on LinkedIn as well. Okay, perfect. 
And I just wanted to thank our listeners for tuning into the Ready, Set, Grow podcast. Uh, if you want to see uh, past and future episodes, uh, check us out at uh, rhaccelerator.com or find us on your favorite podcasting app. And I just wanted to thank you again, Chuck, for joining us. It was uh, really great to see what's going on in uh, automation and robotics in agriculture. Great. I appreciate that. It's fun to, fun to join in.